It's an exciting place to be. Good to have you here today. Thank you for choosing to be with us today. We are in a series we started last week called I'm That Fool. If you missed out last week, we're taking a look at some of the contrasts and comparatives that are in Proverbs and uh, confronting the tendency that I have, and maybe you do too, the tendency that I have to identify with the good guys in those contrasts rather than see myself as the descriptor of the fool in those contrasts. And what we will discover, I think, along the way, uh, last week we talked about the easy, how easy it is for me to look at those comparative contrasts, and then I do a comparison with other people and feel like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not that fool. And that's the problem, instead of doing a comparison with what God's plumb line indicates, and it's perfectly uh, plumb, and I'm the one that's off, and to the degree that I compare myself there, I'm that fool. And so there's something I need to do about it. And that's what we've been talking about, not to bring condemnation to me, not to bring condemnation to you, but to end with uh, the hopeful response that is helpful in each of these scenarios as we take a look at these. So today, I don't like discipline, and we uh, maybe you identify with that too. It's kind of strange to say that because I work real hard at discipline. I've upped my, my bar of discipline higher than I've ever uh, raised it, but there's a lot of room to grow and a lot more that I need in my life. But in that process of raising that bar, I still have to admit I'm the fool that doesn't like discipline. So we're going to begin with Proverbs 1.7 that states it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so I am one of those fools if I compare myself with what God's word has to say as opposed to compare myself with other people. And uh, I am a disciplined person by comparative standards when I compare myself with other fools. <laughs> but there's a problem there. And so I need to compare myself with what God would have of me and I recognize I'm still quite the fool and I need to learn uh, from that. So. Here's where we've been and here's where we're going. We mentioned these are the five sessions together on the screen. I'm wise in my own eyes is what I looked at last week with you. And today we're looking at I don't like discipline. Then we're going to look at I'm defensive when corrected and I trust myself and I vent my anger. And so those things are all foolish and yet we may each of us see ourselves against God's plumb line as uh, needing some improvement, and that's what we're working on together. So as we begin with I don't like discipline, I'm just going to ask you, can you relate? And I'm going to describe myself a little bit further. I've already described how I've raised the bar of discipline, but I don't like missing out on desserts. <laughs> and the longer I stay with the discipline, the more I miss desserts and so on and so forth. Um, I have a pride of ownership in a home, and yet uh, I, I want it to be properly cared for, and yet I really don't like to take care of the weeds or a whole bunch of other chores. And when the time for chores come up, I mean, I am almost always able to come up rapidly with what I'd rather do than those chores. And so there's that foolishness creeping up inside of me because 
in reality, I really want the payoff of the disciplines, but I still don't like the disciplines, which is kind of an interesting thing. I know things need to be done, and yet I don't want to do them. Maybe you can relate. On the screen, I have a really interesting question that is, if you can relate to any of that, it goes like this. How is it that we do value discipline, but we don't like to do the discipline we value? Isn't that interesting? We say we like the discipline. We do like the discipline, but we don't like to do the very discipline that we value. That reality is the rub that I'm describing as I'm that fool. And so if you think that is a great question, we are ready to go. Point number one, I have disordered desires. I hope that this phrase, disordered desires, is one that you will kind of keep in your thinking for a long time. It's very helpful to think in terms of how we each will have a set of disordered desires within us. So the best way I know how to get this across is to give you a very short list of my desires in random order, okay? So in random order, just a short list of my desires. I like drawing, I like hiking, I like dark chocolate, I like my dog. I like hiking with my dog, I like my children, I like my grandchildren, I like my wife, I like my God. In random order, a list of my likes and wants and desires. Now, if I were to rank what is going on in my life and putting careful scrutiny on it, this is exaggerated. I live for dark chocolate. I like hiking with my dog while eating dark chocolate. I like to eat chocolate when I draw. I like to eat chocolate with my grandchildren. I like to eat chocolate while watching TV with my wife. I like my God because he gave us all the ingredients for chocolate. All right? Now, um, disclaimer, this list is exaggerated fiction to protect the innocent, actually. <laughs> I'm not innocent. Okay, so this is not exaggerated fiction, it's actually exaggerated truth. Anyway, um, we know what's disordered here. We don't know precisely the order everything should be in, but it's real obvious, by the way, I wrote it out, that what's disordered here is my like for chocolate has climbed the list in priority as other more important desires and likes dropped in the list. That happens when our desires are in a disordered desire category, all right? I hope that's helpful to you because that is something that is really, really profound as it relates to what scripture says about our desires. And I wanna kind of build off of that a little bit more as we go. So let's jump into Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 that reads this way. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, if you're looking at that, apparently not liking discipline is not all that strange 
um, is you even see that here the description is that um, a lot of disciplines are not enjoyable. So you could see how we struggle to do or keep disciplines or react correctly to discipline and because it's painful. And yet, God would have us keep with those, stay with those, and like the fruit of those. Um, just so that you know, we're talking about two different kinds of discipline. That word discipline is used in different categories. Uh, and you kind of know this, but let me just state them out. One kind of discipline has to do with practices that we put in place in our life. Training practices, disciplines, and there are spiritual disciplines that the scripture describes that we should have as training practices in our life to shape our lives, to shape our thinking, to shape our attitudes, to shape our lifestyle. These disciplines help us become who God wants us to become, and those disciplines are training practices, okay? Scripture also describes another kind of discipline, which is also for our change and for an improvement of our life, but these are more about the teaching that takes place when somebody is verbally bringing correction, or God can even bring a circumstantial correction, which is a discipline to our lives, which is we kind of are reaping what we're sowing. We're sowing foolishness and we're reaping its rewards and it's like a corrective measure and it's painful. We don't like it, but it's got a better result if we'll stay with it and look to God instead of run from God, that kind of thing. So there's two kinds of disciplines. The ones we are actively engaged in, in habits and practices to shape our lives to improve them. I mean, if you're a, any kind of an athlete, you know about training to help your athleticism or your skill set. If you're a musician, you know about training to help your musicianship. And if you're walking with Jesus, you need to know about the training Jesus teaches us to improve our ability to be more like Jesus. So those are practices that he calls us to when he says, follow me, okay? But then there are also these adjustments that come to our lives where people are speaking or addressing or confronting uh, something about our lives and it's not pleasant when somebody says, that was off in whatever nice way they want to say it or sometimes way they were not that nice. And if we despise that, we're in trouble. We're gonna deal with that second kind of one uh, more so next week, but generally speaking, we're hitting both of these as it relates to not liking disciplines. So, if you don't like discipline, it's because, I put it, I have disordered desires, but my guess is you have disordered desires as well things that are not exactly according to the priorities that God would have for us. And so we don't like the difficult side of things. And point number two, I have disordered desires because my desires are often out of order. Duh. It's like if you say you have disordered desires, it's because your desires are out of order. But I want you to see what I want you to see here. I'm not just saying it's out of order. I'm saying it's broken. It now has become broken and twisted, not just out of order. When something is out of order, you know, you've seen the signs that hang on something that is a public something, you know, and they hang a sign so that you won't use it because it is out of order. Well, 
When we disorder our desires long enough, the actual desire becomes twisted. The actual desire becomes broken. And in the brokenness of that desire, it functions outside of the design for the desire that God gave us. It could be a good desire, a really good one, like dark chocolate, okay? And even though it's a good desire, desire that's given to us to serve us well, to give us the pleasure that honors God, when I honor God with that pleasure, it can go disordered to the degree that now it's broken, twisted, and it's going to bring harm to me over time, and perhaps harm to others over time, and dishonor me, dishonor others, and dishonor God, it's now no longer a servant desire, something else happens. So we're gonna see this in the instructions from Paul as he writes to the Corinthians, I believe he wrote the Corinthians in about the 60s, not the 1960s, the 60s, okay? All right? In 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13, we read, I have the right to do anything. Note, note that that's in quotes. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial, Paul responds. Then the quotes, I have the right to do anything, then the quote stops, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Then Paul responds, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Let's talk about this a little bit. Slow it down just a little bit. The Corinthians in the 60s were very much like the Americans now, okay? They had a distorted view of freedom, just like Americans have a distorted view of freedom now. The Corinthians' freedom sounds like this, I have the right to do anything. The Americans' distorted view sounds very similar, sounds like this, I am free to do whatever I want. And they're saying the same thing, different ways of saying it. Paul is responding, God gives you freedom to choose. That's true, because you're a free agent and you can choose evil, you can choose good, you can choose whatever you want. But you're not free to choose the results. The consequences of choices out of bounds, choices that God didn't design, choices that are out of order. You will receive a reaction if you go against the base laws of the universe. I mean, if you say, I would like to jump off a cliff, that's what I wanna do. You're not gonna defy gravity and get away with it. And you will discover pain is involved with all those things you wanna do that are outside of God's design. And what Paul says here about the answer to our desires, we, we have these desires and they're servant desires and we say, well, that's what my body is made for. My body is made to fulfill those servant desires. This is what I'd like to do. This is what I wanna do. It's obviously me. I want to do this. And if it's coming from me, I'm going to do this. Well, there's an underlying deeper, more sacred desire that underlies us that we do not see when we have disordered desires. 
that yes, our body is made for food. It's designed to digest food and function with that food rather well and create energy uh, resource from food and make it so that we can live and do what God would have us to do or be able to choose to go on. But there's a deeper principle beneath that that your body has been made by God to give glory to God. And so Paul says, the body is for the Lord, but the Lord is for the body. Not just food is for the body and the body for food, and it's all gonna die anyway, so why not just eat, drink, and be merry? No, we are eternal beings created in the image of God to bring glory to God, our creator, and we will have an eternal reaping of uh, what God would reward us with through grace if we honor him and his design. Whenever we do what we want to do with our desires, watch out because your desires will start to be out of order, out of God's order, out of God's design. And when your desires go out of God's order and out of God's design, they no longer function as servant desires. They will soon become master desires and they will act no longer like you are in control, but your desires will be in control of you. Now your desires have become tyrant and you don't want those desires to tyrannize your life, but they will tyrannize your life because your desires are now broken and they're out of order, and you'd love to quit, but you're addicted because it's all twisted and broken and out of order. And it happens with good servant desires gone awry, out of order, out of God's design. All of this because we don't like discipline. We don't like the order God places on us. We want to do what we want to do. And if you think that's really you, I'm trying to help you see it's different than that. So, Paul finishes, but I will not be mastered by anything except God. Top of the order. So everything I do, I want to do to the honor of God. Top of the order. He's not just on the top of my list. He's in every item on my list. Because I'm not living for chocolate. I'm living for God. And he's the one that starts to reshape my desires so they're not out of order, that my joy of life starts to grow and grow and grow and deepen to enjoy the design that God has given me. It takes a while to even appreciate that design, but as you do, it gets better and better and better. So, so far we look, I have disordered desires because my desires are often out of order. Point number three, my disordered desires resist correction. My disordered desires resist correction. Warning, your disordered desires probably do too. I mean, you can resist that if you want and prove me right. Proverbs 15.5, a fool despises his father's discipline, 
but a person who accepts correction is sensible. And sometimes the Bible just lays it out there like it is. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. (laughs) And over and over and over and over again, I've been stupid because the pride inside of me hates correction. And the pride inside of me is always self-deceiving. I'm not that bad, come on. You need to understand the motive, my intentions. And I'll judge my motives and flip it around and rationalize and resist the correction. And God says, Jim, 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 Jim. That's stupid. Now, all of this is going to quickly wrap up with the hope that God gives us, the good news that helps our twisted humanity to blossom before him and become humanity that honors and glorifies him. So point number four is, let me just review first. I have disordered desires because my desires are often out of order. My disordered desires resist correction. Point number four, but repenting restores good news. In Revelation 3.19, we read, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, if you're no longer feeling uh, guilt about being out of God's design and order, I feel sorry for you because you're becoming hardened in your heart. You no longer feel guilt. You'll continue to do whatever you want to do, and your hard heart gets harder and harder, which means God feels further and further away, and you care less. And you don't really care that God seems far, far away, and you don't need to have a relationship with God. My life is fine just the way it is. I feel really sad for you, because those whom God loves he rebukes. And if you've gotten really good at resisting his rebuke, resisting his correction, your heart is hard, calloused, numb, and God does not seem real. But to those that want the good news, those that want to experience a relationship with God, those that want to be on the receiving end of all his blessings and all his love in a very personal way. Here's what we need to do. Be earnest and repent. Let me just take a moment to describe what that looks like. On the screen, I've put a few bullets there for you. Repentance is admitting your way was wrong God's way is right in asking for help. He confronts our desires that are out of bounds and out of order. And as he does so, he can do it a number of ways. He can do it through a person who cares enough to say, that's messed up, you're messed up, that's not right, and 
You can harden your heart and resist and you'll be that fool. But if you want correction, take the truth wherever it comes and repent before God, admitting that he's right, this is a correct assessment, somebody else sees it too, and chances are when you're really foolish, you're the only one that doesn't see it. Everybody else sees it. You're busy denying it. So admitting your way was wrong, God's way is right, and asking for help. That's what repentance is. Then you put a stop to rationalizing and making excuses. Then deciding on a strategy for change. This is where the disciplines come in place. Now, I just want to say at this point, chances are really good that there's a segment, a pretty high percentage segment of this group right here that we know some disciplines that we need to, to get into. We already have been convicted by God and led by God time and time again to do something that we keep resisting and not doing and not starting. And we have all kinds of reasons and excuses. But this is the day. And if you know that God has been asking you to do some things and make some changes and start these habits, start these new disciplines, don't be that fool that puts it off and says, I'll do it tomorrow, you're just hardening your heart, it's gonna get harder, not easier. Decide on a strategy for change and take, taking a step starting today. Applying yourself to the disciplines and inviting accountability. As you ponder those, let me just wrap things up. When Jesus invited us to be disciples, he was asking us to follow him by learning and living his habits and his disciplines. If you haven't spent time learning what Jesus' habits and disciplines were, spend some time with Jesus. Read some gospels. See what his habits were, how he prayed, how he taught us to pray, when he prayed, how he responded to prayer, and what he did out of his resources of a disciplined life. He's showing us how to live. Spend some time with Jesus. Just so that you know, and it's obvious, but we don't think about it, the word discipline has the word disciple built right into the root. If you think you're gonna be a follower of Jesus without establishing disciplines in your life, you're fooling yourself. You're not following Jesus. You're doing whatever you want. You just wanna add Christ to whatever you wanna do and have the get out of jail free card. And he says, follow me, follow me. Every disciple is active in disciplines. Now, just in case you're resisting me right now and thinking, wait, I thought we were saved by grace and not by works. Just know this. Disciplines is not earning anything, okay? We are saved by grace. Grace is opposed to earning but it's not opposed to effort. We're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling so that God can work into us what we are working out in that relationship with him. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Repent of the, I'm not going to get into these disciplines mode that we put ourselves in. And what is it that God has been asking you to 
start doing that you know you should be doing but you're not doing for whatever reason. And we usually have excuses, but the excuses are always revolving around a disordered desire that's way lower on the list and it's trumping the really important stuff that God is pressing you for. What are you going to do about this message today? Would you join this fool in repenting and asking Jesus to help? Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us such clear instructions about life and about how you help us take steps from our foolish ways, from wherever we are, to more wise ways where you are helping us by your grace, through these disciplines you've given to us by grace, to experience your help and your spirit's empowerment as we train before you and walk with you and learn new habits in you and to respond to you simply. I was wrong. You're right. Help me. Help me today in this thing that I struggle to like, this thing that I struggle to do. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. There's a prayer team to the left of the stage. If you have anything you'd like to pray about and ask for help or anything else uh, that you need prayer for, see you next week for the next episode of I'm That Fool.